the meat of the business is just listening, you know? As first responders, we should know how to speak to people. Trying to de-escalate, trying to make sure that, that the person is safe emotionally and mentally. We came in as a check well-being. We came in, a, in as somebody who was upset, who's in a lot of pain. We went from checking the well-being to medical to pain to get him an ambulance to a man with a firearm to probably hostage negotiation, right? Scott's involved. It, it, there's all these doors that are open and variables that are there. And I took two more steps in and thank God for long arms. I grabbed the firearm and I said, we're going to get you the help that you need. Welcome to Respond to Resilience. We're your hosts, David Dashinger and Bonnie Rumley, LCSW EMTB. On this edition, we'll be speaking with police officer Peter Elstey and crisis clinician Scott Alvord about community response and their work as a crisis intervention team right after this. In this family, more of us die by our own hands than by the hazards of the job. In this family, up to a quarter of 911 dispatchers have symptoms of PTSD. In this family, our mental health and wellness are in crisis while responders are quietly suffering. In this family, many struggle with job-related stress, burnout, trauma, sleep disruption, substance abuse, and marriage problems. In this family, we can help the helpers with vital information and resources, resilient strategies, and success stories of overcoming the obstacles. In this family, no one is alone. Welcome to Respond to Resilience with co-hosts, retired Lieutenant David Dashinger, Dr. Stacy Raymond, and Bonnie Rumley, LCSW EMTB. We're excited to present this topic today about crisis intervention teams. Um, maybe it is the future of policing. Uh, it's definitely cutting edge and very effective, and we can definitely dive deep into that with Pete and Scott. Peter Elstey is a police officer. He's been in law enforcement for 21 years. He first started with NYPD at the 73rd Precinct in Brownsville, Brooklyn, and he was part of the Street Narcotics Unit and Community Conditions Unit. Pete's currently serving with the Danbury Police Department, where he's a field training officer, crisis intervention team coordinator, and a member of the ESU and peer support team. Scott Alvord is an experienced therapist and clinical supervisor. Scott works with crisis intervention teams for two local police departments as their crisis intervention clinician. Scott's got over a decade of experience in IOP, that's intensive outpatient programs, PHP, which is partial hospitalization programs, and persistent mental health diagnosis, support, and care. Scott also currently runs a private practice. Welcome, Pete and Scott. How are you? Glad to be here. Thank you. Nice to have you both. Let's jump right in. Uh, Pete, the first question's for you. So <laughs> we know that in our world, um, no two shifts or no two calls are alike. So can you walk us through what your typical shift with Scott looks like as a CIT? Um, so we have a, um, a schedule for, for Scott and uh, he'll meet us at, he'll come into the PD and, He'll join us for orders, and um, he'll have, you know, everything he needs. He'll be in plain clothes, and I'll be in uniform, um, you know, whether he's riding with me that day or he's riding with another CIT member. Um, and if we don't have a CIT member working that shift, we basically, you know, we'll, we'll ask another, another uniform member, uh, another police officer on patrol to have Scott ride with him. Um, Scott, you know, certain days Scott will ride uh, eight to four, eight to mm -hmm. sixteen hundred hours. Uh, other days he'll do ten to, you know, he'll do a ten to six um, mm -hmm. haul. Um, so he'll split shifts on the on those two days. Um, other than that, I mean, he's 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 in the car with me. We'll use me as an example. He's in the car with me. I do my, you know. Uh, my patrol, my sector, my calls from accidents to domestics to alarms to whatever it is, he'll he's attached to me. He's attached to the hip, and and uh, he you know he'll he'll come to the calls with me. Um, you know that's that's part of um, riding with the police officer. I mean he's he's not getting involved in anything criminal. 
Um, mm-hmm. uh, we we established that right away uh, as me being the, the CIT coordinator. Um, he's there for mental health. Uh, he's there for support. Um, and, you know, sometimes we've had a basic accident call come into, you know, my sector. I go and handle it. And he told me, he goes, hey, you know, hey, I'm going to go talk to her for a minute and we can see that she, the woman was going in crisis. Mm-hmm. So it kind of it kind of worked out. It was a, it was a new thing for me. It was like, OK, I'm handling the accident. She's in crisis. Here comes Scott. Scott, you know, does his thing. And and it did work out, um, you know, and uh, but he's there. He's there the whole everywhere, you know, unless, you know, we say it's an unsafe environment for him. Then you, we tell him this. You know, mm-hmm. stand stand down and usually either stay near the car or in the car. Okay, great. And um, so, when you are responding on a crisis call, um, can you talk a little bit about uh, what services you can offer someone who's having the crisis and what that looks like? You know, when you're starting a conversation with somebody, uh, I'll I'll give this question to Scott to start. Mm-hmm. When you're just meeting the person for the first time, how do you start the conversation and what kind of services can you offer them? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it, it, it all matters, right? How, how you start a conversation, the rapport that you build. We only have a short time relatively to, to form um, a connection. So um, I'm always identifying myself as a clinician um, that I am here with the Danbury PD or uh, Newtown PD, depending on where I am, mm-hmm. um, but that I'm not an officer. And um, differentiating between, you know, the legal, as Pete said, or the mental health, I think is really important. Mm -hmm. This oftentimes will um, help us to to formulate sort of a different plan. They understand that I'm not there looking for, you know, any any Mm -hmm. repercussions or anything like that. I'm just there to help. Um, So usually, like I said, I'll identify there and then just just say, why are we here? What's going on? You know, Um, instead of coming at it from a. You know, this is why I think we're what's happening. Just just putting it in their hands and empowering mm-hmm. somebody who's clearly not in a great place, you know, at that mm-hmm. time um, to have a voice and just to hear them out. And, and you know, oftentimes that's that's that goes a long way. I mean, that's the meat of the business is just listening, you know. Do you find that because you're not in uniform and you're identifying yourself as this person who can listen and, and just wants them to be heard, do you find that that breaks down the barrier pretty quickly? In most situations, it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm wearing protective gear, so I do have a vest that I wear. So, I, I mean, I look a little bit more than just yeah. you know, clothes. Um, but it, it usually does make a big difference, and you can see people lighten up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, some people will ask some clarifying questions, you know, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. What do you do? Um, you know, things like that. W- we've actually conversely seen it work the opposite way. There are certain times where people are a little, uh, apprehensive of the mental health field, um, right. off of either stigma or personal experience. And, um, there have been times where actually I've had to step back and they have a better mm-hmm. report with the officers. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's fine. And, and we do, you know, we, we evolve, we have mm-hmm. to move with, with yeah. the situation and the scene and each call is different, as you said. So whatever the situation calls for, you know, we, we've had really good luck working together cohesively to sort of just tap out, tap in. Um, there have been a, many calls where it's a collaborated effort. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Now in general, uh, I'll pitch this out to both of you, but in general, do you feel like law enforcement officers receive the proper training to really intervene in these crisis situations or do you feel um, there's a lot more to be done in this area with mental health and crisis intervention work in general? Um, I'll start. I think I think it's a hard one to answer fully without taking into account that the increased load that the police officers have been um, handed in terms of what calls they respond to. Um, the breadth of mm-hmm. of the community involvement that's being expected. Mm-hmm. Um, these aren't just calls that happen to turn into a crisis situation that are being called to respond to crisis calls, whether there's a clinician or a mental health professional with them or not. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, I mean, no, they're not licensed clinical social workers right. or LPCs or, or LMFT, you know, they're, they're not, this isn't their field. Um, but I know that the CIT crisis intervention team officers 
um, are, are, you know, provided um, not through the Academy, but through cable mm-hmm. uh, Alliance of. Isn't it benevolent law enforcement? Benevolent law enforcement. Yeah. Thank you. Um, okay. Run by Lisa Pyers and, and her team, which is, you know, they do a fantastic job. They provide 40 hours a week, 40, a 40 hour training, a week long training um, for CIT officers that does cover a little bit more comprehensive mental health uh, mm-hmm. resources, you know, um, approaches, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, to circle back around, you know, the, the, the resources that we sometimes provide can be local connection. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, rely heavily on Mobile Crisis, which is, you know, run um, here locally and it provides all support for uh, an amazing amount of towns here. They have a, a large um, catchment area that they respond to. Mm-hmm. And then we also, um, rely on Youth in Crisis, which is run through um, Wellmore is the contracted agency. Mm-hmm. So that's run for minors and support through there. Hey, Pete, you've been doing this for well over 20 years. Um, talk a little bit about how mental health has changed um, in the in the world of law enforcement since you got on the job. So, what, 24 years as a police officer and, you know, being down in Brownsville, Brooklyn, didn't know anything about mental health, wasn't even trained in mental health in the academy. Um, you know, if you had somebody who was violent and, you know, having, having a bad day, we'll call it, or an episode or, and until you gather the information from family members or somebody who really knew them, you didn't know what they were going on. Um, you know, anything like that, it was, you know, from what I remember, you would, you would contact the supervisor, supervisor would get on the, on, um, you know, citywide radio and ask for ESU to come and then ESU, the guys, you know, highly respected, highly trained officers, you know, with the toys and the, and the big trucks to come out and then they, you know, wrap the guy up and then off the, off the person went to a mental health, you know, facility to get the help that they needed, whether they were, you know, under the influence of uh, narcotic or alcohol or, or, or having a breakdown, um, but that was for the professionals in the facility to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where it stopped. Now you see it more and more. Um, you know, I've been doing crisis work here in Danbury for 14 years. Somebody came up to me and said, you know, you have a skill set. You can talk to people. You can do this. And you know, I kind of stepped back. And I said, well, every police officer should be able to talk to people. You're a first responder. You're 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 connected to the community, mm-hmm. and then I got into it, and then you know I learned more and more about it. I took the I took the class through cable. I learned more and more about it. I was like, oh wow, it's one of the top two calls. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's one of the top two calls in Danbury. Where it's yeah, okay, you may go to a domestic, but then you know the next couple of calls are it's either check well being or it's a person in crisis, um, and that's where you know me being a crisis coordinator, I set out a schedule where I have hopefully two, and it works out well, like it works out well during the shift that you have two or three crisis uh, officers working. And if you get a multiple calls on of crisis, you can, there's an officer that is trained in crisis calls um, that could, that can go there. And if one is connected with Scott, that person will have Scott with them. And if I've, you know, there's been situations where I'm like, Hey, I'm on a call and Scott's not with me. He's with another crisis officer. 
I've called up that officer. I'm like, hey, what's going on there? Do you, I really need Scott here? Mm-hmm. And then they'll just, you know, they'll do it. They'll tie it up and they'll mm-hmm. finish it up, and then Scott will come over. So we bounce him around. We use him. You know, he's he's very versatile in that in that effect. But you know, just to go back, you know, you asked about the training part. There's not enough. You know, yeah. You go to you. Know, how many times do we do firearms training? How many times do we have to do? Um, recertification or do we do in-house training or we doing all this all this has to happen for mental health this is something that needs to be taught to and I'm not I'm, I say all first responders I say from mm-hmm. from the EMTs to the firemen to the police officers to corrections to 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 whatever it is mm-hmm. they need that training mm-hmm. whether it's a basic 40 hour week training or whether it's you you do more into into something like that uh, and you do your research and you tell the department, I want to do more into the crisis work and let, let's do this training because it's happening more and more. I have the luxury and I have the, you know, I'm proud of working with Scott because he is a resource for me. Um, every day we talk, every day we go to a call, we, you know, we debrief on the call. We like, what can do better? I have that. <laughs> That's what's needed. Yeah. it You know, everybody's like, you know, don't take, don't you want you know, police officers should not do it. Well, we're first on the scene. Mm-hmm. We can do the first initiation, the initial mm-hmm. contact, and we can do the you know, the first assessment. And then you know what? Then we need the mental health assessment. Mm-hmm. So Scott comes in. Um, and it's great. It's it, you know, it's working it's working here. It's 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 we're doing a great job of it. We're connect we're giving something back to the community and, and it's valuable. And we don't just leave it as that first you know, that first contact, we do what we, you know, the follow-ups and, you know, and we go back and they're like, and people are usually like, well, I thought that was it. That first contact was it. We're like, no, it's not. We're coming back to see if you need anything else, anything, just ask us. Um, And it's, we, we say anything, but that kind of opens up the door to everything else. And we're like, Hey, well, I need this, this, uh, we'll, we'll try to help them, but we try to stick with the with the with the mental health aspect. But the training is, you know, we need we need the more support in the training. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just and I know we talked earlier. Um, I think it's twenty plus twenty four plus hours. A new recruit in the academy will get on different um, on mental. I say mental health. I put it in as a whole, but it could be from like a disability to somebody with uh, mental health to um, elderly, uh, elder abuse. That's all, it's all fit into, or greatly disabled. That's all fit into mental health. And that's 24 plus hours. That is not enough. You know, these guys, these new kids coming out, these, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. they coming out into this world at 24, 25 years. All right, go talk to that person who has, you know, psychosis or schizophrenic or manic. You know, how do I? Uh, uh, you, they're gonna they're gonna step over their feet. It has to be. You know, when I went through the cable program, it for the week there was role playing, and that helped me. You right. know, that helped me a lot. And um, mm-hmm. you know, that was that was a that was a huge thing. So that training's got that we got to put. It's not to, it. Listen, it's another. I always say it's an old it's an old phrase. Another tool in the toolbox, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know. It's not for us to take on as police officers, but it's to start it. It's mm-hmm. to start that communication with the community that is in in crisis, you know. And then we can say, "Hey, well, hey, this is what I've done in the past." I'm like, "Well, this is Scott. He is, you know, an LCSW." And I go, and the joke I make with them, I go, "And he's free." <laughs> and, that, and that opens the door for Scott. Scott comes in and, and does, yeah. and I'm there for scene security, or scene safety, and stuff for both for everybody. And then, however long it takes, fifteen minutes, an hour. Sure. And, and Pete, to your point, I mean, it's it's super important to get that training in the academy. Yeah. But how important is it also to get it throughout a career as yeah. continuing education? Yes. You know, and, it, and, it, and listen, you're going to take somebody who has minutes on the job and you're going to mm-hmm. give them the training. They're going to they, they want it. They, they're, they're into it. They're, you know, or you're going to get somebody who has 32, 34 years on the job. Mm-hmm. And say, hey, we want you to take, you know, crisis intervention classes and mental health classes. They're going to be like, uh, no.
you know, Pete, something you said before, I couldn't agree more. Um, I've been in EMS for almost 23 years and the complexity of what we're dealing with when we pull up onto these scenes is nothing like I'd ever seen in the first half of my career. The calls are more complex. The problems are bigger. We have so many factors and variables on the scene, but in the families that are contributing to the situations we have, right? So Mm -hmm. what you're saying, I couldn't agree more. And I'm thankful when I'm riding on the ambulance and I get to one of these calls, I'm thankful for being a therapist because honestly, I can't imagine doing it without being one at this point in today's world. And when you're saying that one out of two calls in Danbury is related to this, I mean, to me, that's proof that things have just gotten so challenging. So it behooves all of us to push, push, push this issue. Yeah. And and you know what? It also helps is, you know, if we all as first responders have a little bit of training or that train mm-hmm. or getting the training, you know, it's whoever's there first makes the first contact to the community. Right. Yeah. So, I've been on scenes where a fireman's there first and they got a great report and I just sit back and I open up my ears as a crisis officer and I listen and I listen mm-hmm. and I listen mm-hmm. until they're ready to tag me in and this, that, and other thing. I've also seen where police officers have been on a call and a crisis officer and he's got the great connection, he's got the great, great connection and nothing against firemen, but the fireman cut in without being, we call it tapped in. You know, he cut in and he's like, hey, how can I help? And the woman's like, I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk, you know, because the rapport is there. And that's where we have to work together, you know. And in Danbury, it is it is done that way. Mm-hmm. From EMT to fireman, you know, this, that, you know, I'll, I'll sit back, I'll listen, this, that, another. We won't automatically just jump right in because we have that training. No, because as first responders, we should know how to speak to people. Right. You should know how to make that first interaction with the community. Hey, what's it to say? What's going on? Or how are you? Right. Yeah, that, it's it's that like a fine thing. art to, uh, you know, for all the sometimes you get a lot of responders on a scene with a CI situation and we can overwhelm that person or intimidate that person even because of the mm-hmm. number of people that are now crowding into that room or into that house. And uh, I'm sure you know, Pete, um, very well how that can affect the outcome of a call. Yeah. There have been a few calls that we've been on together where, to your point, there are many voices being heard. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think everybody has been, um, I don't want to say surprisingly, but have been um, really, really quick to Mm -hmm. um, accept me as a clinician. Mm -hmm. Department and especially in the role that that we're starting to sort of integrate here, mm-hmm. they're deferring. You know, as Pete said, almost everyone will will introduce me at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, will, will sort of hand off as much as they can, and I'm glad to help shoulder some of that load mm-hmm. and take something off of you know the department's plate. So, Scott, as a mental health professional on these scenes, what are your goals when you arrive? Um, what are what are kind of your key goals that you're trained to do? Uh, I mean, safety is number one, obviously, right? So, so officer safety, the community safety, my own safety. Mm-hmm. Um, after we get through that, um, you know, I'm I'm trying to de-escalate, trying to make sure that that the person is safe emotionally and mentally mm-hmm. um, to try to figure out what's going on. As I mentioned, it's it's a very um, high intensity. We're we're not we don't yeah. just go out and solicit people. We're called to a place, mm-hmm. specific time with a specific issue going on. Um, and people are not at their best. Yeah. So whether that's the identified, um, I'm going to say client, but the identified person that we're there to yeah. talk to, or maybe it's the family, mm-hmm. uh, bystander. I mean, it, it really, it could be anybody in a scene. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're trying to make sure that I, I understand what's going on mm-hmm. um, to the best of my ability, that in uh, where it's appropriate that I'm, I'm making an assessment of the person. Um, always looking for uh, one of the three key factors that sort of determine how we move forward. Um, that would be da- immediate danger to self, immediate danger to others, um, mm-hmm. or uh, gravely disabled, which would mean that if we left that scene at that moment without doing anything, that the person would be at imminent risk mm-hmm. of, of hurting themselves or, or something bad happening. So, okay. um, you know, they're, they're, it's situation by situation. There's certainly other factors that come into play. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Pete, Pete sort of alluded to, you know, we get asked to do a lot of things that probably aren't in our technical wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Um, you know, and and I will say that that Pete is a fantastic uh, clinical coordinator for this for the CIT program. Um, that we've made really uh, amazing connections with community providers. It's something that we've poured a lot of time yeah. and effort into. Um, either through hosting them, we have a weekly CIT meeting that we do internally here at the, mm-hmm. the department with, uh, again, with mobile crisis. Mm-hmm. And we also um, will host other people from different agencies at different times. Mm-hmm. We attended ones that others have hosted. Uh, the hospital, mm-hmm. uh, Danbury Hospital hosted one recently as well for some other, for some veterans affairs um, programs and, and a few other people. So it, being able to reach out to local providers, knowing a name when you call, mm-hmm. uh, calling a, a hotline or the, the general number, you know, and and constantly being in communication and in touch with these people. Mm-hmm. Um, fantastic for us to be able to connect the community to someone. Hey, we're not the ones that do that, but please call her or or let me make this soft call for you and and then, you know, the, expect a call back. You know, I'll right. explain for you, things like that. And that has, we've gotten such great feedback, I have to say, without, you know, Mm-hmm. Horns, you know, but I mean, we, we, just, we constantly <laughs> get really good feedback from the community about that. That's Fantastic. Um, no doubt some of these scenes that you roll up on are dynamically changing uh, from the minute you get there. Um, Pete, can you talk a little bit about, you know, maybe a typical call or a call you've had and how you and Scott have worked together and how you've kind of had to bring your skill sets into play to handle the, a complex call? Um. So it's it was a it was one of the days where I did not have Scott. I believe it was the one you were doing follow ups mm-hmm. that day. Um, he was in plain clothes. The other officer was in plain clothes. They were driving around following up on le- the week before or the crisis mm-hmm. call, following up on on them. Um, I got sent to. Um, it came in as a check well being. It came in, in, in as somebody who was upset, um, who's in a lot of pain. Um, you know, back pain, it was, and I got a little bit of a history of it, and the, the surgery was was supposed to happen, and it got canceled, and it was there was a lot of different variables to it. So I did some research. I, I basically just hit the history button on the call, and I could see it was medical, 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 and I'm like, okay. So the, med- the mind frame got into a medical and just just to check on, it. and then my phone starts to ring. Um, and other officers who responded there said, he's like, oh, he's just, you know, he has a lot of back pain. He, you know, he probably just, he needs his medication. And, uh, he just, you know, needs to go up to the hospital and do some, you know, some maintenance on that. And I said, oh, okay. You know, so finally, you know, the other, uh, uh, fairly real new, um, officer was there. Um, he, uh, I think he must've been like six months. Mm. coming out of field training and then the sergeant showed up and then I showed up and they were like, well, what do you got? I said, well, I got a phone call from other people within the department. And I said, this guy's a really cool guy. He's just in a lot of pain. Let's try to help him out. They said, you know, he's well known from the, from the veterans of the department. And I was like, okay, cool. So we waited for his brother to show up. His brother came in with the key. We, we, his brother walked up the stairs we walk up the stairs. We can hear him, and he's the brothers calling the other the other brother's name, and he's like, he goes, "Hey, I got the police here that you're going to get you up to the hospital." And all of a sudden, he starts getting angry. He's like, "I don't want, I don't want the police here." Blah blah blah. Get him out of here. Get him out of here. Get him out of here. I'm like, "All right." Well, and now I start talking to him. I'm like, "Hey, it's Pete. Yeah, you know, we've met once before, which we had a very long time ago. He doesn't remember it because he's in so much pain." Uh, the guy's in his bedroom. He's sitting on his bed. I could see that he has a cane in his hand. And he basically, his brother walks in and he goes, what can I do for you? This and that thing. And basically he said to him, he says, just give me my wash bag. You know, give me the bag up there. Give me the bag up there. And, uh, you know, not thinking anything of it. He thinking there's like pain medication in there um, or some sort of medicine for him to, you know, relax. Um, he then proceeds to open it up and pulls out a nine millimeter and points it at his brother and says, get the fuck out of here. And then points it at me. And I'm like, Whoa. And I peel off and I peel off into another room. I say the word gun. Uh, Cause there's nothing else you need to say after that, or there's no long sentences just gun. And then everybody else took a safe position and it went from being medical to 
um, a person with a, in crisis with a firearm and the sergeant had to, you know, he did what he had to do where he blocked off the street. He contacted ESU. And we had a little bit of a window there where people were trying to call me on the radio, but I already initiated contact with them. And now I had a member of the ESU team there with me as well. Um, and we're giving, we're talking to each other with hand signs and stuff. And, uh, and I'm like, I can't see him. And, you know, one, one person said he's got, he has the firearm in his hand. And I started talking to him and talking to him. And he's like, I could hear him say one, one of the, um, veteran officers name, uh, in the department. And they were both, one of them was working and the other one was working too, because he had said a second name. And I used that, you know, not, not to, is it used to my favor? Yes, but it was used to help him. And I said, you know what? I said, they're both working. Would you like to speak mm-hmm. to him? He goes, yes. And he picked the name. Mm-hmm. And I says, well, I just got in contact with him. And I said, you know, he's on his way. And he, the the level of you know, from his voice that went down and it, it, the scene went down a little bit, but we were still on it because he still had the firearm in his hand. And um, I took a peek in and he was still holding it tightly and he had it at the edge of the bed. And, um, you know, I said to him, I said, listen, you know, we have to, we have to do this and we have to do this right. But I told him, I said, you, you're making me very nervous that you have the firearm. I can't help you if your firearms in your hand, this is going to, you know, there's a lot of people coming here and I don't want them coming into your house. I said, I just want me to come in and talk to you. And I said, mm-hmm. I want the officer that you asked for to come talk to you. I said, just please get your hand off the firearm. And he put the firearm at the edge of the bed. And I says, okay. I said, listen, I'm going to walk in, but you got to stay away from that firearm. And he kept putting his hand on the firearm every time I took a step. So it was kind of like that. I don't want to say like a TikTok thing, but it was like in, out, in, out. I was like, okay, here we go. And then finally, um, I just, you know, I made I made the decision. I said to him, I said, listen, I'm very scared. I looked at it. I said, I'm very scared right now, but I'm coming in because I want to help you. I said, I'm very nervous. And I said, just please keep your hand off the firearm. And he said, he looked at me. He goes, okay. And I took two more steps in and thank God for long arms. I grabbed the firearm and I brought it in behind me and handed it to the sergeant who was behind me. They secured it. And I shook his hand and I, and I pulled him in. I said, give me a hug. And I hugged him. And I said, we're going to get you the help that you need. Um, hopefully we can, you know, we can use our resources and help you out the best I can. And the officer that he requested came up. Uh, another off the second officer came up and they mm-hmm. talked to him. Um, Scott, Scott went upstairs and he did his thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was all like everybody. It was funny how, not funny, but it's strange how everybody wants to be at the scene. Mm-hmm. I'm walking down the stairs and I'm, and basically I'm telling everybody people who he didn't request. Mm-hmm. I was telling people to leave. I was like, stay outside. Stay outside. There's no reason for you to go in and be nosy and peek and see what's going on. These are the people that he needed. Those are the resources that he wanted. I walked outside. And the other part of it was I had a member from the peer support team who Scott was riding with in plain clothes. And he looked at me. He goes, you okay? And I went, no. And he followed me. And I went to the back of um, one of the SUVs. And I sat there and I cried my eyes out. And that adrenaline dump just came. And here's how it switches over again. Um, we went from checking the well-being to medical to pain to get him an ambulance to a man with a firearm to CIT work to probably hostage negotiation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to ESU, to back to crisis, grabbing the firearm. Scott's involved. It, it, there's all these doors that are open and variables that are there. And then all of a sudden, it's now it's okay, who's taking care of Pete? And Pete calls. I looked at the at the other officer. I said, you need to call Christine. Christine is one of our top peer, peer support officers. I said, we need a debriefing now. <laughs> and he, he made that phone call, and we had a debriefing, and, and that's what helped me. Um, what yeah. a great call to recognize that in that moment, right? Mm-hmm. You I, must mean, have, I mean, you had everything, everybody working together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
and nobody's in, in, you know, we don't hold it against him. We, we're not mad at him for anything else mm-hmm. like that. It's little, the different things will put people in crisis mm-hmm. to, I forgot to pay a bill to back pain, to tooth pain, to, mm-hmm. you know, a breakup or uh, something, you know? Yeah. So it, it worked out really well. I unloaded 32 years of emotion. This job isn't a joke, and it can hurt you. How does yoga or meditation help with that? Coming to terms with who you are. You know, nobody calls us because they're having a good day. It's really the suicide that becomes a huge issue. People are more trustworthy with the dog. Sleep deprivation helps them either be better or worse. Completely secretive when we started this. So it's pretty much taboo. Take care of the people next to you first responders really being open about what they're struggling with. If we know that, let's raise awareness. Brings you together to talk about it, and it tells you you're not alone. You know what strikes me uh, listening to you is just how important it is for both of you, for all of us, to just listen and understand what the problem really is for that person. Because if you go in there thinking and assuming that you know what's happening or you've been there before and you think it's the same issue, you're going to have it all wrong, right? And you took the time in that moment to really hear what he needed from you. And you you listened and you validated it. You got the people there that he needed. I mean, I think all the things that you did is why CIT is so important. And I was wondering, just asking both of you, but Scott especially, where do you see CIT work going in the future? You know, we, we know where we have it now, but what do you think? Um, I think it's a, it's a, it's such a poignant question, right? With the evolution of mental health awareness in the world, you know, mm-hmm. um, being where it is right now. And I think some of, although, although there's a lot more work to do, I think with some of the, the um, advancements that have been made, you know, uh, legally, you know, in statutes and, and support and everything, we're still playing catch up with a lot of that. There's been some wonderful ideas that have been put into practice, but not as much of the road work that actually gets us there um, has always been implemented, whether that's funding or training uh, or, or, or expectations or even facilities to be yeah. able to accommodate you know, the people that were trying to get in to get treatment, mm-hmm. um, you know, moving forward, I, 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 I think we're on a great path. I think that lawmakers and influential um, influencers and, and everything are, are really, um, you know, breaking down some of the stigmas and some of the barriers that had previously mm-hmm. held up a lot of treatment efforts um, and people from seeking and being open to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the infrastructure is still lacking you know, and I'd love to see, um, I think it will become more of a point um, moving forward, you know, that there needs to be further funding, you know, um, social services, unfortunately, is almost always the first thing to get dropped when there needs yeah. to be a cut somewhere. And the last five or six years has been a wonderful example of that, even pre-pandemic. Um, there was a, a decent cut uh, nationally, federally from the budgets that that funded a lot of local agencies. And, you know, I, I used to run an inpatient program. Um, in the Bridgeport area, and and we were able to weather the the storm, so to speak. But there were a lot of other agencies um, that that had to close their doors, reduce beds, you know, um, treatment, you know, uh, caseloads. Clinicians were dropped, you know, caseloads go up because the need mm-hmm. is is growing, and the the providers are shrinking. Right. So I I really hope you know that that eventually we will sort of have the two the two meet somewhere. Between um, you know the efforts that are being put towards awareness and and you know incorporation and, and even support of people that are mentally challenged or mentally ill, mm-hmm. or emotional challenges, um, and the ability to provide for them, you know um, having them meet somewhere, um, and even you know the return of some of the longer term um, hospital. Mm-hmm. And, clinics or treatment facilities for people that, that do need that long, you know, ongoing support. Right. Uh, obviously a safe and respectful mm-hmm. um, manner. And you guys touched on this. I'd love to just hear a little more about it. It's a piece that I feel was missing in, in many of the emergency services. And that's the follow-up piece. A dispatcher may dispatch to an emergency and never really get to hear 
you know, what actually what the end result was, what happened to the the person. Um, it certainly happens in the fire world. So, Pete, you know, what do you guys do on a follow up and, and how does that change the game in terms of the continuity of what the services you're offering? So, I mean, there's a lot that goes into the follow up. It's not just, you know, hey, let's look at the, let's look at the you know, the request of the emergency examination form where, where the police officer fills it out and, and we go and say, hey, you know what, we need to go check on that person. There's a lot that goes into that. Um, you know, one, just a, just a little bit about building that um, that relationship with the other with the other facilities or other um, providers out in the, in, the, in the community, you know, because we, we can ask a certain amount of questions to say, hey, you know, why are we put why are we why are we doing that police request form mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that? And then, um, you know, just that. Again, we use the word collaboration and, and then the open communication that we have with those providers. And like I, with the hot Danbury Hospital, we have a great relationship with them now where we work well together. And with the youth in crisis with Wellmore, we, you know, mm-hmm. we'll follow up with these people and we'll we'll have those meetings and, you know, we'll talk about you know, Hey, you know, this is what, maybe this is what's going to happen. And, you know, what can we do the best, you know, to provide for them, but the follow-up, I mean, it, it shows that, you know, the department, um, you know, cares about the person in the community and we'll, we'll go back and listen, we've, we've had people who will go, we'll go into their house, knock on the door and they'll be like, what are you doing here? Mm. I had enough for you. You ruined my day the other day and slammed the door. Other times we get there, it's like, you guys do that? You know, they're actually, they're actually amazed that we, we, we're we back and saying, hey, how are you? What's going on? And then they'll open up and they say, oh, yeah, you know, I was I was here. I was there. And they provided me with, you know, with the checklist and I need to go through it. And I'm going through it. And they'll, sometimes they'll show us they'll have check marks on it. Mm-hmm. Um, or they'll be like, oh, I'm, you know, I, I hooked up back with my therapist I haven't seen in a year. Awesome. You need anything else from us? Please give us a call. Um, you know, ask for they'll either ask for Scott or they ask for a CIT officer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but it's 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 that I call it the warm, not the warm blanket, but it's it's a little bit more than that to go back to somebody who was in crisis and and we tell them say, hey, listen, if you just if, if you're having a bad day, you can give us a call or when we provide them with the other resources from. You know, two on one, the big one, you know, yeah. directly in the community, it's, you know, called Danbury Hospital Behavioral Unit. Mm-hmm. And we give them that number and they're connected right to the hospital and the mm-hmm. hospital will assess on the phone and and they'll be like, well, listen, you know, it's a little bit you're escalating a little bit. Maybe the police will come out with us. Don't get nervous mm-hmm. or they'll come out and they'll and they'll do they'll do a, a visit, you mm-hmm. know, they'll do an assessment where, you know, we'll be getting calls on the radio and and that'll happen, you know. We'll we'll go out there. Oh, we were out here once. You know, we 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 talked last week. What's going on? You know, and it'll be more of a an incident that day, but also a follow up that day mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, people are getting it; they understand it. We're trying to get it a little bit more more out. You know, if they're not if they're not home, we, you know, we leave a little flyer. You know, saying, hey, we are out checking on you, this, that, another thing. You know, maybe they're looking out the window. They don't want to see us they're embarrassed or whatever. Um, but it's it's a recon- – It's you know, you connected them with the first time with the incident, and now you want to reconnect it and make sure they know that nothing was wrong. Nothing they did was wrong. The only thing they did was take the positive step to ask for help. I have two more questions. Uh, one, Scott, do you ever, so if a patient does have a medical issue and they go to the ER, do you ever transport with them in the ambulance since you've built that rapport and trust, or does that go a little bit against what your role would be? No, absolutely. You do? I okay. Definitely, yeah. I've transferred with people before um, at their requests, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, no, I mean, as Pete said, you know, the, the warm blanket, the wraparound yeah. service we really provide, we try to provide um, to the best of our ability, you know, the most that we can to help support the community. And the department is committed to to, to doing that, you know. That's great. 
We, um, we go out, you know, multiple times sometimes to the same, same person. I mean, even in a day, you know, and each call is handled on its own merit, you know, and yeah. if they're, they're okay for one, you know, at a 10 in the morning and then two o'clock in the afternoon, they're not doing so hot and four o'clock in the evening, you know, we're going to, we're going to handle each one separately and sort of just attend to them to the best that we can. I think that's great. And then the other question I had for both of you was, I know the state has rolled out the new 988 hotline, which is a suicide hotline. And I was wondering if you've seen any spike since that's been rolled out in suicide calls. Um, without officially having checked with dispatch and numbers or anything, I, not yeah. really. Not really. Um, okay. I'm sure you're aware that the rollout was a soft one. They didn't really publicize much for July right. 17th, I think it was, or the 19th. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea, my understanding of, of the plan is to have it roll quietly for about a year, um, to have everything funnel, you know, um, mm-hmm. as where all of the current suicide hotline numbers will still be active. It's just going to route them to the same location to sort of a call center. Um, that will be a local call center, which is a difference. Um, right now you'd have to know sort of the local number it to have a local response right now, mm-hmm. uh, Whereas this, you can call nationally and it will route you based off of location services to a local crisis response um, center. And then they'll be able to further, you know, um, direct who responds. Does it need a police presence? Does it need EMS? Is it Mm -hmm. fire? You know, what what exactly? Veteran services? Mm -hmm. um, What exactly will come from that? Um, I think, yeah, I think, you know, Pete said mentioned it in the very beginning. I mean, I think in general, there's an increase in in mental health calls. Yeah. Across the board right now. Yeah. Um, not sure, you know, maybe just coming out of the pandemic and things coming to light while everyone was, was you know, quarantined and boxed up, um, or whether it's just maybe an acceptance, a wider acceptance on mm-hmm. the community level that it's okay to talk about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so feeling more comfortable reaching out for help, which is wonderful. I think uh, it's all of the above. <laughs> I think yeah. we're seeing there's, and, and, you know, don't forget the pandemic was traumatizing. Right. So if people had past traumas, that's all been triggered. And I, you probably see it too, Scott, but private practice, I mean, we don't have openings. Mm-hmm. A lot of us have wait lists. Um, you know, I think a lot of people got triggered from things that happened before. And, you know, I think we're just seeing all the fallout and we're all trying to play catch up right now. Our mission at Responder Wellness, Inc. is to subsidize or provide free of charge safety equipment and wellness services to first responders, including police officers, firefighters, EMS personnel, and 911 operators throughout Connecticut. Resources include scholarships to train new EMTs, a responder and veteran-only AA group in Danbury, Connecticut, as well as police vests, a fire and EMS boot program. Program, yoga classes, gym memberships, and t-shirts. The founder of Responder Wellness, Inc. co-leads a peer support group sponsored by Fairfield County Trauma Response Team. Responder Wellness, Inc. is a nonprofit 501c3. Find us on the web at responderwellness.org, on Facebook at Responder Wellness, Inc., or email us, responderwellness at gmail.com. Responder Wellness, Inc., putting responders first. Just to build on that 988, you know, um, that rolled out, you know, yeah, you, it was whatever in July and stuff like that, but you're rolling it out. And, again, we go back to what we talked about earlier about the training. Mm-hmm. Well, who gets trained in it? Right. right? I've, I found out about it. Like 988 was coming out because it was part of the, mm-hmm. you know, the CIT International and everything else like that. And, and But then I start thinking, I'm like, okay, well, with 988, if someone calls 988 and then they deem it to be that they need an EMS response or they need an EMS and police response, well, our dispatchers and our call takers need to be trained in that. Hmm. You know, they're going to be overwhelmed with the, with the phone calls. Right, and then and then and then as you know, as EMS or EMT and fire, you know, we're, our calls are going to get are going to double. They're yeah, like, they're going to spike. But okay, but you are they asking the right questions? You know, we're we're trying we're trying to work on our dispatches and 
and our call takers to ask the right questions because there are some calls where I'll come on the radio and I'll be like, hey, I'll be like, uh, dispatch, we there, there's no police response needed for that. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, they're in a facility already. Mm-hmm. Just EMS is fine mm-hmm. because they're not asking the right questions, uh, and you're tying up resources. But again, it's the it's the training part, and and that's where the training and the communication that's what builds the CIT programs. You know, mm-hmm. um, not not the person, you know, uh, you know, person who really wants to help out the, the crisis person in crisis and stuff. Yeah, that's great. You know, but you want you your heart has to be into it. Yes, but you have to have the right training. You have to have the right support. And with the support, we have. Our administration supports the CIT program because we, you know, yeah, okay, I'm going to say it, we're doing a great job. We've we spun it around from years ago. Um, um, not saying that it was poor; it was just it was evolving, and we're still evolving, you know. But we're we're branching out. You know, we're asking for people's advice. We're asking for help. What do you do here? What do you do here? Are you available? What what resources can you give us? And we're becoming a, a larger team or a larger family. Um, and again, we're not taking police officers are not taking we're not taking crisis on as another role. But we're again, I'll say it, we're the first contact. We're first contact. You can make the first contact and then you can sort of re, you can use your resources. You know, um, I enjoy it, um, you know, but it's uh, again, it's. It's there. It's it's part of our world now. Um, right. Well, clearly, both of you are doing some phenomenal work uh, together as a crisis intervention team, Pete, as a coordinator. And uh, we want to thank you so much for being with us, sharing about your work and your mission. Um, this is, I think it's exciting and shows that there's a lot of possibility for positive change in the way that um, uh, law enforcement is relating to the community. So thanks for being with us today. And uh, we really appreciate what, what you're doing out there. Thank, thank you both. Yes. Keep up the good work. <laughs> Thank you. We'll try. I want to remind everybody to like and subscribe on YouTube, Responder Resilience Channel on Facebook, Responder Wellness Inc. We're on bbsradio.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and go to our website. It's respondertv.com. You can see all our past episodes. Till the next time, stay safe, be kind to yourself. Take care. <laughs>